This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Thursday, December 2nd. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you coast to coast here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Remember that every day is a blessing, so make the most of every day that we are given. On Thursdays, we always remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, yesterday was a big day for our nation. The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. It's now in the hands of the justices and a decision is expected sometime in June of next year. We'll have much more reaction to the Dobbs case coming up a little bit later in the show. In the meantime, let's continue to pray for our ladies' intercession that the justices be wise, courageous, and make the right decision. We start uh, every show and every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord uh, through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit here on Morning Air when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from Matthew 7, 21. Jesus the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ reminds us that it's not good enough to say, Lord, Lord. We must do God's will, not just give him lip service to enter the kingdom of heaven. As we prepare for Christmas during this Advent season, let's make sure that we have no lip service uh, in our Christmas preparations. Let's totally give our lives to Jesus and be his witnesses so that we can have a joyful and a holy Christmas season. We always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, Pope St. John Paul II often spoke about the culture of life and the culture of death. In light of the historic Dobbs abortion case that's captured the attention of our nation and various tragic other events like the Waukesha Christmas Parade and the high school shootings in Michigan that left four students dead on Tuesday of this week, in both cases taking the lives of innocent people, how can we explain the total disrespect for life in our culture and across our nation? In fact, 
fact, just in this year alone, there have been 28 school shootings, with 20 of them coming since August 1st. Now joining us for much more perspective is Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Monsignor Shea, good morning. Welcome back to Morning Air. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us uh, this morning. Always uh, great to be with you. Good morning, John. It's great to be with you, too, especially to talk about such important topics. Well, Monsignor, uh, being uh, the president of one of the most pro-life universities in America, if not the most pro-life, I'd love to get your take, uh, first of all, on the Dobbs case, uh, the oral arguments uh, that went on yesterday at the Supreme Court. This is a big deal for our country. Uh, What are your thoughts on what you saw? Well, I think those of us who are in the pro-life movement who care about um, the uh, protection, the legal protection of unborn human life in our country. Yesterday was a a big day, and we had been watching it carefully and praying and fasting in anticipation of it. You know, I've been involved in the pro-life movement for most of my life. I was born a couple of years after Roe versus Wade, and uh, I remember, you know, in the early 70s, uh, the Supreme Court decided uh, cases in January, not in balmy June. And so we would have a gathering here uh, at the state capitol in North Dakota in the dead of winter every year. And my parents always took me and my brothers, all of us, uh, up to uh, the rally for life at the state capitol in North Dakota. And I've probably been to the National March for Life uh, 15, 20 times in the course of my life. And so uh, I've I've been watching it. I, I know I'm uh, I'm just one of uh, millions of pro-life people in our country who have been watching the Dobbs case very carefully. From what we heard yesterday, John, the uh, oral arguments appeared to go relatively well. I haven't had a chance uh, to examine them uh, with specificity, but we're hearing that from the questions that were answered, there's a signal uh, that uh, the central framework of Roe will fall. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but we need to continue between now and June when the decision will be released to pray and to hope and to uh, fast for life and for the legal protection of unborn human life. If Roe falls, of course, that's not just the end of something. It's the beginning of something as well. It's time for us as pro-lifers to really stand up and work for um, for the dignity of life in a deeper way, uh, for providing support, whatever support's needed, uh, for women who face crisis pregnancies or problem pregnancies who find themselves in difficult situations, and to win the hearts and minds of our countrymen and women around this issue, which is so vital to the future of our country. Monsignor Shea, so many people, so many pro-life groups all across our nation uh, are praying. Uh, There are so many prayers, uh, praying specifically for the justices that they make the right decision. When we talk about overturning Roe v. Wade, we're talking about uh, a case that has resulted in over 63 million unborn babies uh, dying from abortion. For us, it's almost impossible to wrap our minds around such a number. I really believe that this is the greatest example of uh, what St. John Paul II uh, you know, used to sp- speak about when he talked about the culture of death versus the culture of life. Well, that's right. You know, we um, here on this campus, we had Mass yesterday uh, in our large chapel, and uh, we prayed with all our hearts 
Um, we prayed a, a special memorares and, of course, the St. Michael prayer, because when you point out the devastation, the vast, immeasurable carnage of uh, legalized abortion in the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, when you, when you consider that, um, not just uh, the, 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 the millions and millions of unborn human lives who have been snuffed out, uh, who have been extinguished, uh, but also the devastation that it's wrought in the hearts of women and families and communities. Um, it, it really is uh, something which points to what John Paul II used to call, as you said, the culture of death. And it's important for us to remember as, as we, and I think we'll have a chance to chat about this, but as we, as we consider the landscape of violence in uh, our times, as we consider the, the, the sullen and uh, cavalier disregard for uh, human life and its dignity uh, that we see all around us, we do know that this isn't simply uh, about uh, political machination and maneuvering. This isn't simply about the Supreme Court or the Congress or the White House or state legislatures. Um, this is a question of spiritual warfare. Um, Mother Teresa, remember, used to talk about uh, how this is um, an almost unbelievable form of violence to find a way to turn a mother against her child uh, or uh, to convince women uh, that they have no support and nowhere to turn uh, when they find themselves in danger, that kind of, uh, or in trouble, that kind of uh, set of circumstances is diabolic in its origins. In other words, there's, a, there's an attack against life uh, because uh, God hates death. And, um, and Jesus came by his resurrection to conquer death, to defeat it, permanently and to raise us to life and to teach us how to live in the light of life. And so I think that it's important for us to, to remember uh, that, that we need to fight this battle on many fronts. One of them, obviously, is uh, and clearly is on the front of doing everything that we can do uh, from a political standpoint and also from a social standpoint uh, to advance the cause of life. But another one, of course, is to make sure that we're exercising our faith in the midst of this, and seeing that uh, there's a battle against principalities and powers, that Jesus himself is fighting on our behalf, and that we can join in that fight with him, but only with his weapons and only with his courage. Monsignor, what's been the reaction of the students on the campus of the University of Mary as they've been paying attention to this Dobbs case and the oral arguments and the, the reality that Roe v. Wade could possibly be overturned? Well, so I've, I've had a chance to talk here on Relevant Radio many times about uh, how proud I am of our students, the way that they comport themselves around this issue. They're not young women and men of anger or rage. Uh, and they're, they're I, I think, um, have been di uh, um, disillusioned of the idea that the, the way that the world goes about things is the way that we should go about things. And so our pro-life group on campus is very engaged on, on many uh, different levels, and our, our student body itself is deeply pro-life. Uh, but there is that sense. Catherine Jean Lopez was here for prayer day a couple of weeks ago and was talking about the Dobbs case and saying that we should pray and fast 
uh, for Dobbs. And, um, and our students certainly have been doing that. And so uh, they've been in adoration around the clock. They've been praying rosaries. And they've been encouraging each other to stay calm and charitable and focused and uh, to remember uh, that this is a cause which we need to do as much as we can humanly uh, for and then leave it firmly in God's hands. Our guest this morning, Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, and we're talking about uh, a little bit about the Dobbs case and also just the culture of disrespect for life that we've been seeing in our country. Uh, Monsignor, uh, defending life uh, from the first moment of conception is obviously crucial, uh, but it's also important to respect life out of the womb. We're, we're seeing all these events uh, just in the last few weeks, uh, the Waukesha Christmas parade tragedy, the shooting at a high school outside of the Detroit area this past week. Both cases, lots of uh, lives, innocent people ha- have died. Uh, what, what is going on with this, the culture of death in our country? I, I feel at times like uh, the disrespect uh, for human life is like people almost look at, at life like it's uh, a, you know, like a shooting game, like a video game or a, a TV show, like it's not real. It's just, just every weekend you hear about shootings going on in major cities across our country. Yeah, well, so on, on one hand, you mentioned the influence of, of uh, video games and virtual reality and social media and all of those different types of things, which have uh, led to uh, a vulgar streak in our culture. And of course, pornography is another uh, uh, great source of sort of desensitization. Uh, and so um, so there are lots of forces at work uh, which cause people not to understand that um, that the obligation to to support and to love life, not just life in a conceptual way, but the lives which are right in front of us every day, in and out of our daily lives, that to 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 love and protect and to defend um, those people we can see and those people that we can see is really fundamental. So I think that that's really important when we ask what's going on. I think that uh, there were tackling, John, uh, a, uh, a, an intriguing and urgent question. And it's important for us to, to remember uh, that, that we're not utopians as Christians. <laughs> we don't believe in perfect societies in a fallen world. And so we know uh, that, that though um, things maybe haven't always been as bad as what we're perceiving right now, they've always been bad uh, since that day in Eden, uh, since that first rebellion of our first parents. And so we do carry around within us as fallen human beings the wound of sin. And that's something that we need to be saved from. Uh, and it's it's really important uh, that, that uh, we understand that. And so when we look around, sometimes we're tempted to ask continually, why? Why would this happen? Why? Why would it happen? On one level, um, uh, the unspeakable evil that we're talking about, whether we're talking about the the Christmas parade or the shooting in Michigan or all of the school shootings that have happened in the course just of this school year, whether we're talking about the the tremendous and uh, and and deeply troubling, shocking and horrifying violence of abortion, uh, no matter what we're talking about, we're we're touching upon uh, this wound of fallenness, this violence, uh, which is in a certain sense. Uh, in our system, and that we really do need to be uh, freed from, 
that we need to be rescued from in that sense. And so we can ask why, but we also want someone to do something about it. And that's why I was talking earlier about the spiritual warfare and about uh, the battle which is happening in faith, just beyond our eyes, that we can take part in uh, through prayer and fasting and through living holy lives. Uh, because I think that um, that, that, that redemption, uh, that presence of, of Christ in our individual lives and in the culture is very deeply important. It's no accident, John, that even as the number of baptisms, of annual baptisms, is decreasing in our country, uh, that violence is going up. Because baptism, of course, isn't just sort of a, a, a symbol. Uh, none of the sacraments are, are kind of just reminders or, or uh, sort of um, visible initiations of some kind. They're God acting in invisible ways for the sanctification of the world, which is also our protection and our hope. And so I think that, that all of these things that are happening and that we often wring our hands about and, and, and become deeply discouraged about our results of the fall, uh, and they're an opportunity for us to rally close to the heart of Christ and to make sure that we're participating fully in our faith and encouraging others to be involved in their faith, too, because that's, in the end, how a true peace comes to the earth uh, through the arrival of Christ the King. Absolutely. I was just thinking that, Monsignor, it's ironic that we're on the same wavelength because I was thinking to myself, there will be no peace in our country until we bring uh, the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the, the King of Kings, into our hearts. And as long as uh, people are living as if God and Jesus doesn't exist, we're going to continue to see these type of uh, senseless tragedies. Well, right, and here we are, right in the middle of the season of Advent. What a good time for us to tune our hearts to the deep longing, which is our birthright as Christians. Our baptism sets us on the path to everlasting life, and that's our true home. That's our native country. That's the place where we really, really do want to go and long for all the time. And in the midst of our existence here in this valley of tears, it's important for us never to lose our joy, never to lose our hope, uh, and never uh, to forget that the one who is coming to us in Advent, the one for whom we long, is the answer not just to our personal problems and struggles, but to the problems and struggles of the whole human race, all our brothers and sisters. And we're responsible for each other. We belong to each other here upon this earth, and, and we're responsible uh, to do the best that we can to welcome the Prince of Peace every day into our hearts, into our lives, into our world. Monsignor Shea, uh, how can uh, we teach our kids, uh, uh, teenagers and college-age students, that every life is valuable, that importance of that culture of life, something that is obviously uh, well understood uh, from so many students at the University of Mary who are, are so well-formed, but uh, that's not the case in so many you know, public high schools and inner cities where they have no idea of the importance of the sanctity of human life. I always remind our students here of what Pope St. John Paul II used to say in his Theology of the Body and Love and Responsibility in his early teachings, where he said that the opposite of loving someone is not hating them, but using them. The opposite of loving someone isn't hating them, but using them. And we live in a very transactional time in which it's very easy for people to use each other. And when that happens, uh, we do lose sight of the dignity 
and the immeasurable value, the infinite value of every single human life, its dignity, its need to be defended and protected, especially if that life is vulnerable or helpless and so and in need of protection. And so I'm always reminding our students of that, and I think that that's something that we need to remind each other of, not just by our words, but by our actions. The way in which we live our lives, we do have a chance every day to love those around us and not simply to use them. And that witness, I think, wins the day because uh, as powerful as the temptation to live in a worldly way is, in the end, it's desperately boring. Nobody really, really finds uh, that the world keeps its promises. Uh, instead, uh, the promises that really are kept are the promises that God gives us in the Catholic faith. And so for us to be able to live that beautifully and cheerfully and well is the answer to all of our questions. Well, Monsignor Shea, I so much appreciate your perspective. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, here this morning. It's always good to be with you. We'll continue to pray and fast for Dobbs. Absolutely, and many blessings here uh, during the Advent season. Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Eric Schuyler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League, will join us live from Washington, D.C. for yet more reaction on the Supreme Court's oral arguments in the Dobbs versus Jackson case. The Mississippi abortion law that could overturn Roe v. Wade. Stay with us. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues after this. Today's program is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center. More information about their Catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Show plays a meme in all. 30 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, yesterday morning, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments for nearly two hours in the case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, a legal challenge to Mississippi's law that bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Many legal scholars on both sides of the abortion issue agree that this could be the case that finally overturns Roe v. Wade after nearly 50 years. Justice Clarence Thomas made it quite clear that there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. Listen to a part of the oral arguments followed by Justice Sonia Sotomayor. General, would you specifically tell me, uh, uh, specifically, state what the right is. Is it specifically abortion? Is it uh, liberty? Is it autonomy? Is it privacy? What is confusing is that we, if, if we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about because it's written, it's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? The viability line discounts and disregards state interests, and the undue burden standard has all all of the problems. How is your interest anything but a religious view? Um, The issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers, 
since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect a life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when? You're not drawing here. When do you suggest we begin that life? And joining us now live from Washington, D.C. is Eric Scheidler with much more on the Dobbs case. Eric is the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League, which is based in Chicago. Good morning, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for taking the time uh, to be with us. It's always good to be with you. You know, John, it's especially good to be with you at this at this point, because the, this case is is I'm struggling to find words to describe the, the sense of optimism and hope that I'm feeling. And I think it's shared across the pro-life movement right now. The, the vibe outside the Supreme Court yesterday, I was out there for about six hours before and after the hearing. The vibe was so incredibly positive on the pro-life side, first of all, because we were concerned D.C. is a very uh, liberal city, a very pro-abortion city, and, and they have very pro-abortion policies right there in that city. And, and we were concerned that we were going to be outnumbered out in front of the Supreme Court, but it was like a three-to-one or even four-to-one pro-life crowd. And on the other side, uh, and they literally had us split into two halves on the, on the steps of the Supreme Court, that the pro-abortion side seemed so angry, despondent, desperate, and just down-spirited uh, it was it was palpable, and, and I don't know how much we can take from just the, the mood or the feeling out there, but I, I'm heading back to Chicago with just an incredible spirit of optimism and excitement and, and real energy to, to take the next step, because if the Supreme Court does go so far as to overturn Roe v. Wade, boy, that's when the pro-life movement, in a sense, really begins. Absolutely. Eric, there's no question yesterday was a historic day, uh, both outside and inside the Supreme Court. We we saw many, many different pro-life groups, uh, feminists for life, uh, Catholic groups, uh, non-religious groups, all different types of pro-life groups coming together. Can you describe what that that atmosphere was like uh, outside the court uh, from what you saw further? Well, you know, to to see you know, evangelical pro-lifers and Catholic pro-lifers and Jewish pro-lifers and, and Orthodox pro-lifers and atheist pro-lifers all sharing this moment, the, the positiveness. I mean, it was a dense crowd and you'd bump into somebody with your side and, you know, they, they'd say, excuse me, and, and give you a hug. It was just the most incredible thing. Uh, you know, the, the different signage that we saw, people speaking out on behalf of the unborn child, on behalf of their mothers, on behalf of the family, on behalf of faith uh, and, and liberty. It was, it was really a slice of the very, very best of what it means to be an American. And I'm so honored and pleased to have been a part of it. You know, typically at the March for Life every year, you have, you know, 30 or 50 uh, pro-choice uh, demonstrators, and they make a lot of noise. Uh, there were uh, four women in particular that uh, uh, made a lot of noise yesterday with their, uh, their shout your abortion uh, movement signs that said, uh, we are taking abortion pills. Uh, that's just one example of uh, the desperation that we're seeing uh, from the other side. It's, it's so much theater, you know, and it kind of out. And, and I've known this for, for many years as a pro-life activist, that, that very often the, the issue isn't really abortion. It isn't really the pro-life movement. It's more of a kind of 
a, a bizarre kind of an attempt to justify one's own sort of, I don't know, sort of self-centered and, and petulant kind of an attitude. And, you know, really we need to pray for those folks because they're so incredibly misguided that they wouldn't see at least some kind of sorrow in, 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 in abortion. You know, the vast majority of people who say they're pro-choice, they at least recognize there's something sorrowful and regrettable about abortion. And they've really kind of lost the plot, so many on the radical pro-abortion side. They think that the way to win is to double down and make abortion a kind of sacrament of sorts. That sounds maybe extreme, but I think that's really what they're trying to do, though they might not use those words. And I, I think it really... They need our prayers, but it also gives me a lot of encouragement because it shows that they're just losing it. They don't know how to talk to the American people. I mean, I saw signs out there about how it's it's transphobic to use the phrase pregnant woman. You have to say pregnant person now. That just does not resonate with the American people. That's not a policy or an attitude that average Americans are going to care about. And this really opens the door for us to walk in and talk like normal people, to talk about women and, and how pregnancy affects them, how abortion harms them, and really advance the cause in this moment when the other side is really walking away from normal conversation. Eric, uh, the mainstream media obviously uh, reacted yesterday. It seemed like everywhere you look, uh, there was coverage of uh, this Dobbs uh, hearing. Uh, what were your impressions of, of how the, the mainstream media reported on yesterday's uh, events, as well as Planned Parenthood and, and big abortion? How do you think they're reacting? Well, they, t you know, as usual, they downplayed the presence of pro-lifers. I think it was... Uh, I don't, I don't want to get wrong, which is, I think it was, it was NBC, actually, that talked about how there was, uh, you know, a, a big pro-choice crowd, and then they talked to one pro-life person without acknowledging the size of the crowd that was so huge. We expect that. But I was really encouraged by how willing they were to talk about Roe versus Wade being overturned. I came away from the hearing, and I listened to the entire thing uh, during the rally. I had my ear, <laughs> AirPods in, I was listening to the whole thing. I came away convinced that the Supreme Court was going to uphold the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban. I was optimistic, but cautiously so, that they might even go so far as to overturn Roe v. Wade, whether they do so explicitly saying this was a bad ruling, we're overturning it, or whether they just effectively overturn it through the actual ruling they put forward. But to see the mainstream media, the left-wing media, the pro-abortion groups talking about this as the end of Roe v. Wade, as if that's almost inevitable, I found to be very encouraging. And I, I wondered if maybe uh, they, were, they were right, and I hope that they are, that this is going to spell the end of Roe v. Wade. Well, a lot of folks were paying attention to what was going on inside the Supreme Court. Uh, Mississippi Solicitor General uh, Scott Stewart told uh, the, the court that uh, Roe v. Wade needs to be overturned uh, because abortion terminates a human life. And obviously, in light of the 62 million-plus unborn babies that have died, uh, he hit it right on the nose. I mean, that's really part of the, of the issue. It took my breath away. It really took my breath away. Those first few minutes of the hearing, uh, which was the first 20 minutes or so, were actually broadcast on the pro-life side. And, and to hear the way that, that, that General Stewart went after Roe v. Wade in just those first couple of minutes, so much confidence and so much legal brilliance was, was just stunning. I was so impressed. I was so excited 
and so was the rest of the crowd. But notably, as the hearing began to be broadcast outside the steps of the Supreme Court, the pro-choice side continued their ranting and raving and rambling. They did not really care to hear what was happening inside the Supreme Court as the pro-life crowd sort of gathered in close and listened close to hear what was happening right inside that beautiful building, uh, which is such a, a monument to justice and liberty. Really a very exciting moment, and uh, I just can't tell you how, how exciting it was for all of us who were there, and not just there, but all over the country. People were hosting watch parties. We had over 100 rallies taking place in cities and towns across the country so that people could participate in this in their own cities and towns, because this is not just a Washington, D.C., inside the Beltway kind of an issue. This is a national issue. All of America is watching, and uh, we all have a, a great debt of gratitude Scott Stewart for his brilliant defense of, of the right to life yesterday at the Supreme Court. We're joined by Eric Scheidler, executive director of the Pro-Life Action League. He's live in Washington, D.C., uh, talking about yesterday's uh, Dobbs case at the Supreme Court. Uh, Eric, uh, there was a lot of arguments from both sides, uh, including the reaction of the justices. Uh, how significant is the issue of precedent with, in the legal uh, jargon, stare decisis, uh, especially what was made uh, by uh, Justice Kavanaugh, who read off a list of many different cases that have been over overturned in the past. Yeah, Justice Kavanaugh was a real, um, just a real breath of, breath of fresh air. You know, he's been under so much fire, and even some people on the pro-life side have been uncertain of where he would land. The fact that he's ready to go with this list of so many cases that overturned others because they were wrongly decided. There was such a spirit in the air that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. And Planned Parenthood versus Casey that creates that undue burden standard that's held us back for so long. But that was wrongly decided. It was really in the air. And I was, first of all, very encouraged to think that Brett Kavanaugh is willing to push back against Roe versus Wade. But also the sense that this was a move by the more conservative justices of the court to be presenting their case. They recognize the stakes here. I mean, precedent is a very serious thing, and the, the liberals were trying to say that this was going to be, you know, destructive if they ruled otherwise, but I think Kavanaugh laid the groundwork. No question about it. I also want to talk about uh, viability, which is another uh, issue, but we need to take a, a short uh, break, Eric. So uh, we're going to continue our conversation from Washington, D.C. with Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. If we think that uh, the prior precedents are seriously wrong, if that, why then doesn't the history of this court's practice with respect to those cases tell us that the right answer is actually a return to the position of neutrality and, uh, and um, not stick with those precedents in the same way that all those other cases didn't? That was Justice Brett 
Kavanaugh, part of the proceedings yesterday at the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case as we continue talking about this case. Live from Washington, D.C. with Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League. I think as we continue talking about uh, precedent, uh, I think um, Justice Kavanaugh uh, was uh, very precise in, in his comments. Yes, you know, to hear a justice talking this way out loud in the Supreme Court finally about Roe versus Wade and the idea of the court simply backing away from this issue is a, is a real moment, a historical turn for us. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm convinced that, uh, that Roe v. Wade is going to at least crumble, because for the Supreme Court to uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban would be to effectively dismantle Roe. And this was brought out by not only the liberal justices, but also the, those arguing uh, in favor of, of, of keeping Roe versus Wade. They are they're calling the, the viability line, which is where the Supreme Court decided that at that point, maybe the states could start to restrict abortion a little bit. They're calling that the main finding of Roe versus Wade, uh, which is what the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case said as well, that this is the main finding, the central finding. And if they push back against that, as they seem very, very likely to do, that means going against that horrible precedent. And not only will this affect the pro-life movement, it affect the lives of unborn children, it will also affect our national politics. Uh, this is something that's really come home to me of late. Our national politics, our ability to solve the big problems that we face, infrastructure, health care, immigration, has been undermined and really stalled by the focus on abortion and how this polarizing issue has just kept Americans from being able to come together on other issues. So not only is this a historic moment for the abortion issue and the pro-life movement. I think this could be a historic moment for the history of our nation. Eric, um, I was listening to some of the reaction from some of the different uh, legal constitutional scholars who said that you really can't defend Roe from the Constitution because it doesn't follow constitutional law. It's very, very difficult to defend Roe based on the Constitution. You know, it's not just the... Uh, attorneys and scholars who are on the pro-life side of this case who've been saying that. People like liberal jurist Lawrence Tribe and even former Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, argued that this was a badly decided case, that it really had no foundation in the Constitution. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought that a, a less extreme ruling might have been able to be founded in the Constitution, but it certainly wasn't. And uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer or legal scholar, so I'm, I'll leave it to others to really parse how all of that works. I think the takeaway for us Americans is that this ruling was made up by seven justices in 1973 out of whole cloth. Blackman, the author of the Roe v. Wade ruling, even admitted to Justice Stewart, who was pushing back at him and saying, hey, let's, let's not have it be the first trimester that is the limit because that was Blackman's original draft. Let's go all the way up to viability. He said, well, it's, it's arbitrary anyway. They admitted they were making it up. This was built out a whole cloth. It was a, a, an act of, of what uh, Justice Byron White called raw judicial power that had no foundation in any kind of precedent in the, in the Constitution itself, in the history of our country, in the common law. And I'm, I'm sure that it is, it is going to be at least 
torn apart, if not utterly overturned by the Supreme Court here. And I'm so excited about this. Eric, I heard um, your late father, Joe Schaller, the great uh, pro-life uh, leader, uh, say uh, many times uh, uh, the fact uh, that Roe v. Wade was really constructed out of whole cloth. It really it has no real legal basis. And, and so can you imagine uh, how your dad is feeling right now, uh, looking down uh, from the other side of the veil, uh, uh, rooting for the pro-life movement in this historic moment? You know, it really does bring this sort of eschatological contemplations to me as I think of my father, because he really ne he didn't believe he would live to see Roe v. Wade overturned after the first five or ten years of, of pro-life activism. I mean, he and, he and my mother originally believed that they would donate five years of their life to the cause and that that would do it. That would be enough time to awaken the American people to the horrific injustice, the suicide note, he used to call it, of Roe versus Wade. They quickly learned that Abortion was far more entrenched than they thought, and as the years went by, he, I wouldn't say he lost hope, but he certainly thought it would take longer than, than we're seeing now. But in his final months, he really started to have a sense of optimism that Roe Wade might actually be overturned with all those wonderful justices. I think it was when Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the court. We had a, had a case in front of her in the Seventh Circuit and had been tremendously impressed by her. I think that may have been what really gave him a sense of optimism. And, and she was wonderful in her, in her questioning yesterday. And it's so important to have a pro-life Catholic woman's voice coming from the bench yesterday at the court in Washington, D.C. Another uh, reminder that elections have consequences, and that's why we're seeing uh, this 6-3 majority conservative pro-life majority at this point. I found it astounding, Eric, uh, the reaction of uh, Justice Sotomayor, who tried to, to say that there's no scientific uh, developments in the last 50 years. I'm, I'm thinking, where has she been? Uh, you know, where was she ever? Uh, Sonia Sotomayor is an embarrassment. She's talking about how you can tickle the feet of, of, of dying people and their foot moves, and somehow that relates to the unborn child as if, as if embryology hasn't been clear. You know, Alan Guttmacher, the first president of Planned Parenthood after Margaret Sanger, who founded it, wrote a book in 1930 called The Case or the, uh, uh, the Foundations of Life. I forget the exact title, but he, he, he wrote about how Everyone knows. In 1930, everyone knows that life begins when the sperm and the ovum come together to create a zygote. Somehow, everyone knew that in 1930, and they forgot it by 2021, at least on the left. Sonia Sotomayor was scrambling to insert some of the pro-abortion lobby's talking points into the record, um, talking about how it would harm the Supreme Court if there was to be a change in this precedent. But I don't think that her confused and unfounded and unscientific words are going to really have an impact on what happens here. Thank God. I think that the Mississippi Solicitor General uh, has summed it up pretty well when he, he said that with the medical advancements, let's leave it back to the American people to decide. So take it back to the states. You know, really, it's an argument for the true meaning of pro-choice. This is a democracy, and policy is as important and divisive and central to our lives and our well-being and our communities as abortion absolutely must be decided through the democratic process. Or let's forget about democracy. Let's quit pretending that democracy can work. Let's let it work on this issue. Let the states decide. And let pro-life people, let the listeners of Relevant Radio take an active role in crafting that true policy 
going forward. That's really what this is about. True pro-choice for the people on abortion. Eric, uh, how much of a factor do you think uh, the pressure from the outside, from both sides, uh, how it will affect the Supreme Court? They're concerned about possibly looking political. Uh, do you think the, the outside influence will make a difference in this decision? Well, I hope the influence of pro-life people, the 105 rallies around the country, the massive pro-life presence outside the court, will have an effect on at least convincing the court that they can do the right thing. The court should be independent. The court should make rulings based on justice. But the just ruling here is to side with the unborn child and side with democracy and overturn Roe versus Wade. I'm extremely encouraged that the court is going to do that. And no matter what happens, they're going to be accused of being political. They need to simply do the right thing, do the just thing, overturn Roe versus Wade, and restore a sense of balance on this issue in the United States of America. Many prayers are needed uh, between now and June. A lot could happen between now and then when uh, the announcement is expected. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to join us from Washington uh, to really break down this so important Dobbs case. Thanks to you, John, and I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about this next month when we've had a chance to digest and as the March for Life is on the horizon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Eric Scheidler, Executive Director of the Pro-Life Action League, and now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Nikki. In 1979, I was managing a Wendy's in Port Ritchie, Florida, Unlike today, staffing was never a real problem, but I was searching for someone to work three hours a day only at lunch. I went through all my applications and most were looking for full-time or at least 20 hours a week. I found one, however, buried at the bottom of a four-inch stack that was only looking for lunch part-time. His name was Nicky. Hadn't met him, but I thought I'd give him a call and see if he could stop by for an interview. When I called, he wasn't in, but his mom said that she'd make sure he'd be there. At the accorded time, Nicky walked in. One of those moments when my heart went in my throat. Nicky had Down syndrome. His physical appearance was a giveaway and his speech only reinforced the obvious. I was young and sheltered. I'd never interacted on a professional level with a developmentally disabled person. I had no clue what to do, so I went ahead and interviewed him. He was a wonderful young man with a great outlook. Task-focused, excited to be alive. For only reasons God knew at the time, I hired him three hours a day, three days a week to run a grill. I let the staff know what to expect. Predictably, the crew made sure I got the message. No one wants to work with him. We had a crew meeting, cleared the air, and prepared for his arrival. Nikki showed up for work right on time. He was so excited to be working, he stood at the time clock literally shaking with anticipation. He clocked in and started his training. Couldn't multitask, but was a machine on the grill. And now for the fascinating part. Back in that day, there were no computer screens to work from. Every order was called by the cashier. It required a great deal of concentration on the part of all production staff to get the order right. While Nicky was in training during his first shift, the sandwich maker next to him asked the grill man trainer what was on the next sandwich. Nicky replied, single, no pickle, no onion. A few minutes later, it happened again. It was then we discovered Nicky had a hidden and valuable skill. He memorized everything he heard, photographic hearing. What a skill set. It took three days and every sandwich maker requested to work with Nicky. He immediately was accepted by the entire crew. After his shift, he joined the rest of his crew family drinking Coke like it was water. And then they discovered another Rain Man-esque trait. Nicky was a walking, talking, perpetual calendar. 
With a perpetual calendar as a reference, they'd sit for hours asking him what day of the week was December 22nd, 1847. He never missed. This uncanny trait mesmerized the crew. His mom would come in at two to pick him up. More times than not, the crew would be back there with him, hamming it up. As I went to get him from the back, his mom said something I'll never forget. Let him stay there as long as he wants. He's never been accepted anywhere else like he has been here. Well, I excused myself and dried my eyes, humbled and broken-hearted at the lesson I'd just learned. Nicky had a profound impact on that store. His presence changed a lot of people. Today, I believe with every fiber of my body, Nicky's hiring was no accident. God's timing and will is perfect. This Christmas, I hope we all understand what we're celebrating. We are all like Nicky. We each have our shortcomings. We each have our strong points. But we all are of value. God made us that way, and God doesn't make mistakes. Nicky certainly wasn't a mistake. He was a valuable gift I'm forever grateful for. We're celebrating the birth of the one that leveled the playing field for all of us. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, black or white. He doesn't care if your chromosome structure is perfect. He doesn't care what level of education you've attained. He cares about your heart. He wants all of us to love and appreciate the gift he gave us on Christmas. His son, the Savior, our salvation. His son that was born to die for our sins, to pay our debt, to provide us a path for eternity. So this Christmas, let's check our hearts. There's a little bit of Nicky in all of us, and I suspect there's a Nicky somewhere in your life that's looking for the chance to be embraced. Thank God for that. Thank God for his perfect gift of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks so much, Glenn. Coming up next hour, we'll have more reaction to the Dobbs case. Bishop Edward Scharfenberger will be with us to talk about Pope Francis' prayer intention. And Father James Kabicki will talk about Advent traditions. Stay with us. Don't change that dial. There's much more to come here on Morning Air.